I think that when you're a queer person and everything you do feels political, having those personal mm -hmm. moments is also like so helpful um, and so yeah. cathartic and so therapeutic in so many ways. friends, and welcome back to season four of Misshelved. I'm your host, Nicole Brinkley, here with your bi-weekly dose of bookstore love. If this is your first episode, hi! Every two weeks, I introduce you to an independent bookseller in conversation with an author they love. But first, some housekeeping. Season four is our final season of Misshelved. At least for now, let's call it an indefinite hiatus. Michelle was started as a bit of a pandemic project for me to stay connected to the extended bookselling community, but it turns out when you spend all your time networking with other booksellers and working on a podcast, you sort of forget to actually read books. So I'm taking a step back, mostly for the sake of my very large to read pile. But don't worry. We have an amazing season lined up for you, and at the end of every episode, I'll be plugging another podcast that spotlights independent booksellers and the work they do. Stay tuned. First, though, we have our inaugural season four episode, and I could not be more thrilled with this pairing. Our independent bookseller for today is Cassie King. My name is Cassie King. I am the director of social media and marketing at The Novel Neighbor in Webster Groves, Missouri. Cassie is one of my favorite people in bookselling right now, and yes, if you've spent any time on TikTok, you've probably seen her. I'm lucky enough that she's become one of my good friends, and I can testify personally that her taste in books is phenomenal. Cassie is in conversation with her all-time favorite author, Nina LaCour. My name is Nina LaCour. I am the author, most recently, of the novel Yerba Buena and the picture book Mama and Mommy and Me in the Middle. Settle in as these two talk about finding joy in times of chaos, dog allergies, and queer fiction. Nina, hello! Hi, Cassie. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. So happy to be talking to you today. At the time of recording, we are one day away from... The release of your adult debut, Your Babuena. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yes, you've caught me at a very, you know, high pressure time for all <laughs> writers, or not maybe not so much high pressure, but high anxiety time. I'm sure. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna get her on the jitter day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's very nice to have things to actually do on the jitter day so I don't just sit there and pace my apartment. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So I read Your Babuena. I think last July at this point. So I can't believe that it's here. I mean, how does that feel for you? It feels, I mean, it's, I'm very excited. It's been getting so much early love and attention, which has just been incredible to see. At the same time, it's this book that I've been working on my entire adult life. I mean, the idea for these characters came to me when I was 20 years old and I'm going to turn 40 this year. So it's just like been this journey with them. And so, you know, handing them over to the world 
does feel kind of scary in a way that I guess in most books, I feel a little bit of that when they enter the world, like it's such a vulnerable experience to put out this thing that I've made up. But this one, especially because it's been with me for so long, it just feels especially, I don't know, personal, I guess. I was going to say it it feels personal on page and I, I obviously don't know all of the ways that it is, but you really get that kind of like beating heart in it. (laughs) And congratulations. I mean, 20 years in the making is huge. And I think there's a lot in there that's going to impact a lot of people. So I'm, I'm really looking forward. I know to having it on our shelves tomorrow and, and being able to share it with folks. Oh, thank you so much. I wish I could just, um, you know, fly over there and sign all of your stock. And <laughs> we uh, actually got signed cartons. So you signed our tippins. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and also your publisher sent around like a cocktail that went with the book and my birthday's next week. And so we're using the cocktail mm-hmm. as my birthday cocktail, which I was very excited about. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Well, my wife actually made that up for us. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yes. So she, in our, in our household, she is our resident mixologist and it's been, you know, just very fun. Um, it's such a treat for me to like get to taste all of the things that she creates. And um, <laughs> when I was writing the book and my editor was like, it'd be so fun to come up with a cocktail for it. I was like, okay, Kristen, get to work. We have an assignment for you. Oh, uh, is that her like, like, like full job? No, no, it's just a, it's a hobby, but um, one that she does very well and that, you know, our friends and family appreciate and get to enjoy. Well, I can't wait to see how my partner, Emily, recreates them. Oh, good. Yes. Well, you'll have to send pictures. (laughs) Sounds perfect. Sounds perfect. The book has got some levity, but also got some hard parts. And I think like, it's a hard time in the world (laughs) right now. And so I don't know about for you, my brain is doing like the constant loop of like anti-queer laws and Roe could be repealed and like tons and tons of violence. And A, I want to ask like how you are and B, I want to like maybe get into the role of fiction in, in healing some of that or in being kind of a cathartic piece of responding to some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we certainly are just like in the thick of it right now. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Every day from new angles and, um, you know, also just on top of everything you mentioned, just that we're still living with COVID, right? Like it's still every decision is takes so much, you know, weighing of options and assessment of risk and, um, just it really feels like quite relentless these days that's so um, true. in all respects yeah yeah so I don't know I mean you know as of this recording yesterday I held this like fundraiser for gun reform where I was just feeling very helpless I have a daughter who just turned nine and <sighs> so you know watching the recent horrible violence unfold and getting those details it was just so wrenching for everybody and then also to have just like this walking <laughs> living yeah. joyful child as a reminder of, of those children um would just made it so feel so close you know and um I was feeling very lost and hopeless and just so so sad and then I was like 
you know, sometimes I teach these writing workshops and I haven't been because I have these books out now and it's just been such a busy time, but he's like, let's just get people together and write for an hour. So I sent out like a call for people to come and donate some money and have this hour and over 120 people signed up and we raised over $5,000 and it was like in two days. It was like a spur of the moment thing. And then we just like sat together for an hour yesterday and I had written up some little exercises that had to do with joy. Like Mm -hmm. what, like what are some images that, you know, you or your character find beautiful, like, or that, you know, fill your character with joy or like one was your character walks into a room and somebody sees your character and their eyes light up at the sight of them. And like, why, like, what is it about your character that made that person so delighted to see them? Like, just like trying so hard (laughs) to search for joy and delight and, you know, beauty. And it was comforting. It wasn't easy. And I think, you know, some people really struggled to find joy, to, to list joyful images for a long time. But I do think that returning to creativity or returning to the kind of escapism and catharsis books and films and TV and, you know, any music, like those are the things that keep us going, you know, or, or just like putting our phones down and experiencing what it's like to just like look outside on a beautiful day and like see how the sun hits in a certain way and like, it, it all is so necessary. And right now for me, I have to keep reminding myself to do these things and to take care of myself in these ways or else it's too brutal and too sad if we don't do that for ourselves. Yeah, and I love, I love that you immediately organized community around it as well. Cause I think like for me, I'm an extrovert, like traditionally, but like finding joy is often difficult as a solitary experience. But also when you know everybody's going through the same things, because these are big worldly things, it can often be hard to like try to tap into other people's joy when pain feels collective. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that that was, I mean, that's such a beautiful response. And it seems like it was a really beautiful exercise. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it it just feels like I always have to remember that it feels better to do something than to do nothing. (laughs) Like, you know, even if it's just like a small thing um, for me, I, I just need to always keep that in my mind. (laughs) What what are you doing these days, Cassie, to just cope or find during these times? Well, I, prior to book selling, I was in political advocacy. So I think that like, my response is often, yeah, to organize or to like, what's the nearest phone bank I can hop on? Or like, what are we knocking doors for? Or where do we plug in? And I think that the last few months has been one of the first times that I feel like I've tried to take a step back and respond from a place of listening to people who've been advocating for these issues for a lot longer or know a lot more. Um, And I think also through my position at the bookstore and, and, you know, working with lovely people who all feel the same. I mean, the day after the Uvalde shooting, having so many like joyful, beautiful, excited children running around the store, pulling up books that they're excited to read, showing their parents. And I mean, you're making eye contact with the other adults in the room and everybody's kind of thinking the same thing. And so I, I think for me right now, I've been trying to find a lot of ways to a either recommend joyful pieces of fiction or books or or media to tap into but also like sometimes I feel like if I'm able to read about 
a topic that is like collective, I'm able to process it better. And so like, I've been trying to like lean into my feelings, <laughs> which is maybe not always my instinct. My instinct is like to do, do, do. And instead, like, try to be a part of some collective processing through leaning in emotionally. I don't know if that made any sense, but that's been absolutely the goal right now. And so we put together a bunch of lists that had to do with the aftermath of gun violence and how to, like, collectively process. And we put together a lot of lists that, like, dystopians and nonfiction and fiction that talked about Roe v. Wade or abortion care and... I think that that's going to become important in the months to come to kind of understand like a historical context, but also the emotional context of everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's so wonderful. It does really seem like it's about balance. It's about community and it's also about getting quiet with ourselves and allowing ourselves to feel the things that we do. It sounds, <laughs> sounds like you're doing a perfect job. <laughs> well, when it feels like the world's ending and it's like, well, we're, <laughs> we've got to get real comfortable inside in order to do things outside too. Yes, for sure. On the topic of like self-care and mental health and, and maybe that representation in fiction. I mean, every one of your books are falling apart on my shelves. <laughs> They've been read oh. to death. Um, especially as like a college student who just really needed them at the moment that they were there. Um, and I think like mental health and fiction, especially queer mental health and fiction can make us feel so very seen. And also it can be quite difficult to read, I'm assuming possibly difficult to write or maybe cathartic. I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because I didn't go into any of my books like with a mental health focus. Right. But it, I mean, when you're really dealing with emotions and difficult experiences in life, like there it is, right? Over and over. I mean, mental health is a part of all of our lives all of the time. And so it's been really interesting for me to just kind of notice patterns in my work and see what my themes are, you know, now that I've written <laughs> several novels, you know, like I can step back and take a look and say, oh, wow, I write about grief a lot. And I write about feelings of loneliness a lot. And I write about depression. And, you know, I really like to dig in there in my work. And I think that, like, for me, I certainly write in order to understand myself and understand the world and my experiences through fictionalized lenses and other people. So it's just always a process of exploration. Yeah. And I have just been really happy to be able to write all of these queer characters. Like when I first started writing, I didn't know how writing about queer characters might limit my audience or the reach of my books. But then with Yerba Buena, like the whole book is, you know, about these two <laughs> queer women and their love story is a big part of the book too. And it's been my most, you know, it comes out tomorrow, but even, <laughs> even though it's not out yet, like the attention that it's received has been more than any other book. And so it's just showing that even though like all of these terrible laws and policies are not reflecting that, I think that as a collective society, we're certainly moving in a promising direction when it comes to queer representation and just like having queer stories be stories that like everybody is reading because so many of our like recent super popular 
novels are novels that really have a lot of queerness in them. There's such an interesting tension right now. And you touched on it about like legislation or anti-queer sentiments that we are seeing expressed through individuals. That being said, I think the amount of representation that we are seeing and the response to that representation, it's like both are reaching new heights <laughs> um, yeah. at the same time. And I think it's it's really interesting to kind of be a queer person in the midst of all that. And I, I love that Yerba Buena is like kind of quietly existing in the midst of it. Like, like there's so much to take from it, but it's not demanding. I don't know if that makes sense. I would love to hear more. <laughs> I I think that your Babuena like allowed me like a quiet moment to kind of personally reflect in many ways and get into the feeling of being a queer person in the now um, in a way that didn't feel like, I think that when you're a queer person and everything you do feels political, having those personal mm-hmm. moments is also like so helpful. Um, and so yeah. cathartic and so therapeutic in so many ways. And like, obviously, Yerba Buena is inherently political because everything we do is political, but it's, right. it felt so personal as well. And I, I felt like that was really achieved in this like heightened moment. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. That makes me very happy to hear that. <laughs> How do you feel like you've written for the little littles now and you've also written for YA and now adult do you feel like you have different responsibilities in each age groups or how do you tell what stories you want to tell for what ages well actually that's so interesting because I said yes like I I certainly do but then another thought came into my mind which is (laughs) I I think that I have the same responsibility for each you know, or the same artistic pursuit for all of the age designations that I write for. Yeah. But for each one, I model it based on an age appropriate model. So like, for example, at first I thought, oh yes, I have a different approach for children. But really like all I strove to do with my children's book was to represent the emotional life of the child and to really write a close look at what it would feel like in this case for a little girl to have one of her moms go on a week-long work trip and to stay home with her other mom Mm -hmm. and have the days go by. And um, sometimes that feels special and different and kind of exciting. And sometimes it feels sad and a a little lonely and just things aren't quite right. You know, when she can't sit, for example, in the middle of them at the dining table, she feels a little off. Um, and I guess that's exactly what I'm doing in Yerba Buena, but it's just for adults. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm still trying to capture the emotional life of the adult in this case, right? Like where in the case of my characters, sometimes they feel pretty lost, you know, they're craving some sense of like home and stability, but also having all of these new experiences and, and they're each really pining for different things and they're searching for connection. And and so again, it's just, you know, finding the emotional, the emotional life of those characters and trying to explore it as honestly and intimately as I can. Yeah. How do you balance exploring those intimacies and also like self-care in a world like this? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, well, okay, here, this is <laughs> a little bit about my evolution as a writer in terms of, of self-care and what it looks like. Like 
when I was young, like writing was my self-care. Like I wrote and expressed my feelings. I was giving myself this gift. I was kind of like reveling in the experience of exploring language and seeking my own truth and like all of this through writing. And then when it became my job, I went through a few years where it just felt quite, um, I mean, it felt kind of taxing and it felt like an obligation. And I also associated so much like self-criticism with it and guilt and these unrealistic expectations of myself in terms of what I could produce and, you know, feeling like a failure if I sat down and it felt hard or I didn't write very much. And I teach writing too. And so many of my students feel that way as well. Like just so much self-imposed pressure to like get it right and be productive and stick to a schedule. And so I have really turned away from that kind of like cruel inner voice when it comes to writing. (laughs) Yeah. And I like have taught myself how to make writing feel really good to me again. And that doesn't mean it's easy and that I'm successful every time I sit down, but I've just vastly shifted my expectations of myself. And I also have started to incorporate like a a couple little rituals into my writing practice. Like I really like to wear slippers. I like to light a candle. I like Like, they're just like these little things. I like to make sure that like my chair is really comfy and you know, I love that. I love that. Like (laughs) self-hype. Exactly. (laughs) It changes the whole mood because instead of telling myself like, like you've fallen so far behind and you have these deadlines and you need to write and what's wrong with you. Like, instead of that, I'm telling myself, Oh, look at this nice, nice seating arrangement that I've made for myself. And now I'm going to give myself this gift of this time to explore my book and we'll see what comes. And it's okay if nothing comes today because it's all part of the process and that just opens space for something else to come tomorrow. And just like being kinder to myself in that has, has really, just changed my relationship with writing so much in such a positive way. That's so interesting. I think, you know, when we talk to kids about like jobs that they will one day have, and if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life and all of those things. And at the same time, I do feel like academic pressure has like mounted higher now than ever before. So like hearing your students feeling those things and not even that it's academic, it's creative as well. But yeah, like that idea of, I I don't know. I think sometimes if you think if you just love it enough that it won't be hard or it won't be hurtful or it won't like, I won't work myself too much. And I, it it sounds like it's really like a process to get there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that it's such an interesting concept. I was actually just talking to my daughter about that because she's a really creative person and has all of these creative pursuits like she loves to dance and she loves to sing and write songs and she loves to draw and now she's getting really into sewing and knitting and all of these things are just so great but then sometimes they become frustrating you know like when you're learning to knit like I I don't know how to knit like I don't have the patience for it but you know sometimes (laughs) stitches don't come out right and when she's sewing sometimes the tension's all wrong in the sewing machine and Um, So we do talk, we've been talking a lot about, you know, even though 
artists and crafts people like love the things that they're making and the process. It doesn't mean that it's always easy and that it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time too. And um, we've talking about like, like endurance and, you know, being able to like deal with frustration and <laughs> all of these lessons that are so important for all of us, I think. Oh my gosh. And at nine years old to have that much creative brain going. <laughs> Right? <laughs> that's so, oh, that's awesome. And I feel like, you know, what better parents to have while going through all of those, the learnings of. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, we talked, we talked about hard things. Where have you been finding joy lately? Well, um, I have been finding joy, well, in a few different places, actually. So <laughs> tell I... me all about them, Nina. Okay. okay, good. <laughs> well, during, during the pandemic, like many other people, we got a puppy. <laughs> and I've never had a dog my whole life. And so her name is Luca. She's our first dog. Aww. And my daughter begged and begged. And I'm allergic to dogs. Me so. too. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. So I had a really good excuse for a really long time. And then <laughs> we finally gave in and did our research and found a dog that didn't, you know, make me sneeze constantly and need my inhaler. So, <laughs> we, so we, um, so I have just learned the joys of the dog park, Oh, which is, I never saw this as something that I would be interested in. And even like, like Mary Oliver, for example, like, you know, yeah. has all these poems about dogs. And I kind of would be like, okay, a dog poem. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I also love Mary Oliver. And I think the same thing every time I'm like, okay, the one about a dog. Totally. Like skip this one. Like, yeah. this one cool. <laughs> I've never, I'm, I'm allergic. I've never fully connected with the dog thing. My partner also is a dog and I'm living with a dog for the first time in my life. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it, it is. It is a lot. It is a lot. And for the first several months, I really felt like, what have we gotten ourselves into? But now, like, to take a dog, like, this is what I did day before yesterday, I think. I took our dog to the dog park. And it's this, like, beautiful, like, green, grassy, fenced area in San Francisco in this nice park. And she just, like, frolicked and played with the other dogs. All the dogs are running around, and they're so happy. And it is a moment, because I do have to watch her while we're there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not staring at my phone, which is a big problem for me, the phone staring. It's mm-hmm. really bad. <laughs> so instead, I'm just, like, staring at these dogs in this beautiful day. And I have found that, like, the simple act of taking my dog to the dog park always lifts my spirits. Like, it's only about, like joy, outdoors, exploration, fun, like all the people there are all just like obsessed with their own dogs and everybody else's dogs. And <laughs> I've become a convert, I guess. I, I, I guess I like dogs. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have a cat who is hypoallergenic because I'm also allergic to cats, but like I can sort yes. of, I can sort of be around her. Um, I'm kidding. I've had her for five years now, but, um, she is also similarly sometimes when I'm like at the worst, I just sit and stare at her for a little bit. And I feel better. Yeah, animals, I mean, it really, they are so healing. It's pretty incredible. I'm somebody who like, I don't really know how to take care of myself mm-hmm. in a gentle way. Like I've always been a very work focused person like, and 
even like this thing, the writing hour that I did yesterday, you know, on one hand, it was great. It was productive. It was really nice to gather. It felt good to do something. On the other hand, like it is typical of me to be like, <laughs> okay, well then in a frenzy, I will organize this like big thing that's going to make me work really hard until like super late at night, you know, that my channel feelings into work. And so I've been just trying to slow down. So the dog makes me slow down. I'm trying to just like take a bath and read. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to take nice walks sometimes without listening to anything, just to walk and clear my head and just look around and disconnect for a little bit. And all of those things help me. Yeah. I feel like I'm similar. I'm like, if I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to take care of myself aggressively <laughs> or like yeah. I'm going to do a big thing or organize a big thing. And sometimes that's not actually what we need. Right. Right. I got a massage like a couple months ago and that's also something that I've never really done for myself. Like, I mean, I've, I've had a handful over my life, but I got like a really intense one and then I felt so much more relaxed. Like my body just felt so much more like regulated, like in terms of just like my anxiety being lessened and I like could actually drop my shoulders. And so I am learning that like these things are truly important. And there's a reason that, you know, it's like an ancient practice. As we are not supposed to just sit at our desks and go through extreme trauma day after day. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think going back to, to how that kind of impacts in fiction, there's like a conversation happening right now. And I, I want to get your take on it of like, finding joyful queer fiction and finding joy in gay books or even in like widening that to like gay media and like Heartstopper, which is like a new gay Netflix TV show. Like they're just very sweet. Like I feel like there's <clears throat> an onset of like sweet queer media that maybe did not exist um, because of the barrier gaze trope or because of queer baiting or because of all of these other like trauma that has existed in queer historical fiction and everything else. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I both adore joyful queer media, but also often crave like sad stories that make me feel seen and make me feel heard. And I often find joy in sad stories um, yeah. or find joy in like some of that pain. And, I, and I'm just like wondering where you come down on that. Well, Cassie, I mean, it just, this just shows <laughs> <laughs> why you are my ideal audience <laughs> all I want is to cry <laughs> we got like a we got a request the other day somebody sent it to like our owner and they were just like I just want some sad gay books <laughs> and she forwarded it to me and she was like I think this is yours <laughs> and I laughed <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's funny the book that was um I, I feel really proud of it and I love it. But the book that was the hardest for me to write was Everything Leads to You, mm. which is my third young adult novel. And I wrote it with the desire to have like a happy romance <laughs> between two girls. And I wrote it because I had gone to this high school in the suburbs of Minneapolis where they had you know, kind of the don't say gay legislation. Yeah. And this was so long ago. It's really sad that we're like back here in this place. So I was talking to these students who had lost a, a shocking number of their classmates and friends to suicide over the, the couple years prior. Like it was just a really terribly sad time, like in the school community. Yeah. And I... And speaking to them, like it became so clear to me how much they really needed like 
like joyful, optimistic stories about queer love and teen queer characters. And so like after talking to those kids, I got back to my hotel and I was like, okay, I'm writing this story. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how to write a happy love story. <laughs> and so like, it was so like difficult for me. It's hilarious <laughs> to think that my most like upbeat book is also like, it was like my most painful to write. Like I just like, <laughs> it was just very excruciating for me to get that story right. And, um, it's just, it's not where I go, you know, like my cozy space of writing is not yeah. in like <laughs> sweet joy, you know? I mean, it is, it's in like sweet, joyful moments mm -hmm. as part of the story, right? Like right. these like kind of hard earned moments of joy are very important in all of my books, but I really like kind of getting into the harder stuff too, because that's just how I see life. And I do lose interest in a lot of stories where it's only like sweet. <laughs> I like that hard-earned phrase that you use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for example, like we've all watched Ted Lasso by now, right? So yeah. the um, <laughs> you know, American football coach goes to coach soccer in the UK and has no idea what he's doing. But for so long, I resisted it because I was like, oh, I don't need a comedy. But then... <laughs> because I'm a grump. Um, <laughs> then I started watching it and I loved it. And I feel like the reason I loved it so much is like, yes, it's sweet and funny, but it also has like really true, sad, like it has the whole spectrum of human emotions in that. It's not just keeping things light all the time. Um, and that's what makes me love it so much. Absolutely. I feel like to come up, I must come down and like vice versa, like yeah. the relationships between those things. And to be fair, everything leads to you is light, but there's some heft in there too. Oh, totally. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I realized that I was incapable of writing just all light. So like, I mean, the poor love interest has been disowned by her, her mother. And <laughs> there's a lot of sadness in there, but that's the closest to like a pure romance that I'll ever get for sure. And <laughs> nothing, you know, Nothing against pure romance. I am just absolutely incapable of writing them. I know I wrote to my friend Stephanie Perkins, who wrote. Oh, you know, I love Anna and the French Kiss so much. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and I was like, how do you do it? <laughs> I'm in awe. Like, her books are so charming and just capture that romance vibe just so incredibly well and are just like crafted so beautifully. And I just, I have total admiration for writers who can do that. Do you prefer a happy ending or a sad ending or like an ambiguous ending? You can use that option. Yes. Well, what I prefer is a satisfying ending and like whether it doesn't matter to me whether it's happy or sad, but as long as it feels like we've been working up to it. Spoken like a writing kind of ending. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What kind of ending do you hate? <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, I hate it when it just like ends and I feel like it was all for nothing and yeah. that there was nothing reached. And I know the, I understand the value behind that in terms of like trying to represent how life is and in life things are often unresolved and don't come to a satisfying conclusion. But I would argue that that's why we have art and like we are trying to make sense of things and we're trying to impose narratives and to have some sort of you know some sort of meaning to the world and that's that's why we're doing what we're doing 
And so I just, it, whether it's happy or sad or just feels kind of inevitable, um, I, I like it. Like it makes me, I'm watching Conversations with Friends right now, the TV adaptation of Sally Rooney's novel. And um, I won't give anything away, but I haven't reached the end of the series, but at the end of the novel, it's like the end is inevitable and it's kind of shocking and like, oh my gosh. But like <laughs> at the same time, it's like, yes, like, this is true. This is the inevitable conclusion of this story. So. I'm also watching it right now. Oh, good. Are you enjoying it? I am. That was my favorite of Sally's books. Um, mm-hmm. And I just love a book that feels a little messy. Like I love when yes. there's just like lots of different layers of tension and everybody's just like making very messy, very human choices because I have been that person in my life. Um, yes. <laughs> and I also... Taylor Swift's boyfriend is in it. So I had to watch it. Yes, I know. I read that. And now as I'm watching and like, especially during all the love scenes, I'm like, I heard she was like sitting there watching that. Which would be great. I mean, I don't know if it was actually those scenes, but I just have been thinking about how interesting it would be to watch, you know, the person you're in love with act in all of these like very intense scenes. I know. I think, I think like people who are close to creatives, um, you know, I, I've often thought like, how do you relate to it? Like, like for your wife, even does she see herself reflected in your work? Like, how does that impact her? Like, I, I think the relationship between the creative significant other, and obviously I think that Joe Alwyn has been on the receiving end of that as well. Um, it's just very yes. interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I know. I know. My wife is very, she's pretty like discreet about those feelings. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, she's very, like, supportive, and she's just, like, incredibly supportive of my work and believes in me so much, and, you know, sometimes she's also, like, very modest and unassuming, so sometimes I'll have to be like, see, like, it's like you, (laughs) and then she'll be kind of touched about it, but she really gives me, like, the creative space, I guess, is how I'm trying to say it, to to write what I want to write, and that's a really great gift. Oh, that's really sweet. And we were talking about how the ending of Conversation with Friends couldn't end up any other way, like satisfying endings. The thing I was thinking, and, and we were talking about joyful literature, like I am okay with any amount of sadness or any amount of trauma as long as it feels purposeful or it feels honest. And I feel like that's my line for like either joyful or media that is like feels that we're building towards something or that we're answering a call or that we are healing something versus like, oh, this was sad and potentially bad representation and it wasn't for a specific purpose or it like yeah. didn't speak to what somebody needed to heal, hear or feel or didn't give catharsis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you there. I can go into great pain <laughs> if it's necessary. But I think you can tell, like, don't you feel like you can tell when it's just gratuitous? Absolutely. I think the phrase is trauma porn. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah. When there's just like absolutely no, no point. And I think that's the difference between like media that I just don't choose to consume versus like the kind of contemplative or quieter, sadder media that I find very healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. For you, if you are speaking to ideal audiences, like 
how do you want them to feel seen or feel heard through your work? Is it intensely personal and you write for yourself? Are you writing for other people? Like, what is that process? Well, my favorite experience as a reader is when, I mean, it's, it's very rare, but it's <laughs> when like I'm reading a book and I come upon this scene and it's just written in this way where it's like some lived experience that I have had that I've never seen put into language before is suddenly reflected at me. Like to me, they're revelatory. I feel like connected to like humanity. They're so profound to me to be able to read something like that and to see myself. And so as a writer, I mean, it's not like I sit and I'm trying to do that, but I'm what I've taken from it is like, if I can be as close to these characters, as honest, like really think as much as I can about this moment and what it might mean and how it might feel and just live in that space, then hopefully like some of my books at some point will strike some people in that way. And so it's like by trying to tune out how others might think or feel about my work and instead just like get as close to it or as deep into it as I can, then I'm hoping that I'll achieve that. So I guess when I write, I'm like tricking myself (laughs) and saying that I'm not thinking about the reader, but like, you know, I'm absolutely (laughs) doing everything I can to write a story that will mean something to people. I love that you were like, my favorite part as a reader is like the revelatory experience, like somebody putting it into words. And I was like, wow, you just put into words my favorite part of reading. (laughs) It was very meta. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it is, you know, people read for different reasons, right? Like people read you know, for just like joy and for escapism and for like a great story and for a page turner and for like intellectual stimulation and for information and all of that. And I'm just like, always, I'm just like reading for emotion. Just like, make me feel something, please. Make me feel understood. Like that's, I love that as a goal, as a reader. Um, But I I hadn't really thought of it from a writing perspective. That's really interesting. I'm glad. Thank you for the question. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Of course. Anytime. Um, Okay, it looks like we're out of time, which is very sad for me. Um, This has been so fun. (laughs) I know, this has been a long time coming. I I think a lot of folks have been reading your books for a long time, especially when you have written for young adults and then you move into adult fiction kind of with your readers. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's just like a really interesting... I hadn't really thought about it until this moment. So sorry to bring it up right at the end. <laughs> no, I love that. I've thought about that too. And um, yeah, it feels very fun. <laughs> yeah. I feel like people feel that they've grown up with you. And I definitely, I feel that way as well. I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are out of time. You can find me, Cassie, at thenovelneighbor.com. You can also find us on TikTok at Novel Neighbor, on Instagram at Novel Neighbor, or Facebook or Twitter, anywhere that you may social media. Where can they find you? <laughs> well, my the best place to reach me is my website, ninalacour.com, because it has links to my newsletter and to Instagram and Twitter. But if you just want to take the social media route, um, I'm at Nina underscore LaCour on both Instagram and Twitter. And thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure, Cassie. 
And um, thank you, Nicole, for hosting us. And it's just been absolutely wonderful. Oh, it's been incredible. Thank you so much. What a, what a wonderful time. <laughs> Thank you so much to Nina and Cassie for that tremendous episode. I love both of them so much. And of course, a forever thank you to our wonderful technical editor, Rebecca Spees. She's a gem. If you love bookstore podcasts, you can, of course, follow us at Michelle's Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out our friends over at the Blind Date with a Book podcast. The hosts do a dating quiz with their guests to figure out what book they should read next and spotlight independent bookstores in every episode. I've recorded an episode with them myself, though I have no idea when y'all will have a chance to listen. It was so much fun, and I know all of you will have a great time with it. We will be back in two weeks with our friend Nicole Lintemuth at Betty's Pages in conversation with a much-beloved middle-grade author. Can you guess who? Until then, happy reading. <laughs>